Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, as Americans eagerly embrace normal life again at last, are unvaccinated young people between the ages of 18 and 34, the post-pandemic weak link. Also this morning, Tales of Little Egypt. Author James Gilbert discusses his novel about small-town America and the characters who created it in the late 19th and early 20th century. Before summer settles in, we have some home spruce-ups you'll want to check off the list ahead of rebooted gatherings of family and friends. And we have another collection of tasty, easy recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, June 4th, 2021. The 155th day of 2021, there are 210 days until the end of the year now. So this is the uh, big question. The Biden administration is now uh, investigating the origin of the coronavirus. What do we do, begs the question, what do we do if evidence is found proving that the COVID-19 pandemic began due to a leak from that lab in Wuhan, China. Well, a new poll has found a large majority of American voters support taking action against China, if that is indeed found to be the case. This is a Hill-Harris-X poll. 83% of registered voters backed the idea of action against China in that circumstance. And that is across all party lines. 87% of Republicans, 83% of Democrats, and 80% of independents. So strong support for action. But the question is, what kind of action? 30% would support a global tax on Chinese products to make up for the economic damage caused by the pandemic. 25% say they would support asking China to pay reparations to the families of those killed or affected by the virus. Good luck with that. 18% say they would support travel and financial sanctions on senior Chinese Communist Party leaders responsible for the leak and the subsequent cover-up. And 6% would support boycotting the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. So it'll be interesting to see if that indeed comes to pass. And again, we don't know that that is the case, but we don't know that it isn't either. Uh, If it does indeed come to pass that the virus was leaked from that lab in Wuhan, what do we do about it? Question. It'll be a big question uh, moving forward. Here are some more of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to uh, get your Friday morning started. Hard to believe it's Friday already. My goodness, this week has just uh, flown by. Uh, The uh, cicadas uh, have reappeared in many parts of the country. Brood X or Brood 10, the cicadas have emerged from the ground. And the FDA uh, has a rather strange warning. But this goes back to we had this story what, three or four days ago about the company or companies, I think there are multiple ones, who are turning the cicadas into 
delicacies. But the FDA is warning consumers you should not eat cicadas if you are allergic to seafood. <laughs> the I don't know what the connection is. Uh, let me read on. Maybe it says the FDA tweeted on Wednesday that people with allergies to things like shrimp should avoid eating cicadas because of their relation to the sea creatures. I did not know that, but apparently so. The cicadas, which emerge every 17 years, have already surfaced in several states this year, including uh, states neighboring Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, also Virginia, Tennessee. <coughs> Excuse me. Lots of uh, states have been seeing an onslaught of cicadas. And the plentiful insects have inspired a number of culinary creations uh, using cicadas as a main ingredient, but you should not eat them if you are allergic to seafood. So kind of a Certainly one of the first things you need to know. A couple of uh, interesting studies. Speaking of food, uh, researchers at the University College of London have found that eating a plant-based diet might not be the best thing for your kids. Researchers found that children between the ages of 5 to 10 who followed a vegan diet... <laughs> are an average of 1.2 inches shorter than those who eat a, I guess, a complete diet, including meat products. And that their bones were found to be smaller and weaker. <laughs> so, <laughs> eating a vegan diet uh, can make your kids shorter, apparently. The uh, study authors say parents should be aware of the risks of vegan diets, and children should be given vitamin, vitamin B12 and vitamin D supplements at a minimum. If they're on a vegan diet, they should be given supplements of vitamin B12 and vitamin D to reduce potentially long-term health consequences such as bone fractures or osteoporosis later in life. <laughs> I would not have guessed a vegan diet would make you shorter, <laughs> but apparently so. Um, and here's another study that I saw, uh, on the uh, newswire that I thought was kind of interesting. Now, normally we talk about these, uh, wallet hub studies, uh, quite often because they are really interesting things. They crunch numbers using various metrics and come up with all kinds of rankings of cities across the country and states across the country, you know, by various category and so on. I really like WalletHub's uh, study, and they uh, do a good job of their methodology and, you know, crunching the numbers and all of this. But then there are some studies, and this is one, uh, that uh, left leave you kind of shaking your head. Uh, or as I call it, this is a study from the file of, duh. Um, a new WalletHub study says there are some great places to enjoy a staycation this summer. And I know a lot of folks want to travel in 2021 to make up for the fact that they couldn't travel during the summer of 2020. I get that. But not everybody will be able to travel. Not everybody has the resources uh, to be able to travel. And so staycations, if that's what you're stuck with this summer, this study says that there are some great places to enjoy a staycation and some not-so-great places as well. Again, Research from the file of, duh. 
and further emphasizing the point that this is like no kidding, right? Wallet Heb says the best spot to enjoy a staycation is Honolulu, Hawaii. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Honolulu, the best place to enjoy it. So if you are, if you, for those who live in Honolulu, if you're stuck in Hawaii, that's a pretty good place to have a staycation. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, the rest of the top five on the list for the best places to have a staycation, Orlando, uh-huh, San Francisco, Charleston, South Carolina, and Las Vegas. <laughs> so if you live in any of those places, being stuck with a staycation this summer is probably not the worst thing ever. Although, to be fair, I will point this out. Uh, Honolulu, Hawaii tops the list. Now, uh, as most folks know, uh, both of my sons were in the uh, military. My youngest son was stationed in Hawaii uh, for like two, three years. And at first, he thought, hey, this is great. I get to live in Hawaii. But after a while, when you're stuck on the island and you're at least a three-hour plane flight from the from the mainland United States, uh, and if you want to go anywhere other than the west coast of the U.S., it's even farther. Uh, you are literally on an island. Uh, after you have done everything there is to do on the island, then you know you you can get bored. What is his argument was and and uh, his frustration was being stuck there for couple three years living there is that eventually uh, you run out of things to do and you're just stuck so to be fair i'm sure the people who live in hawaii uh, probably don't see it as a great place to take a staycation because they're they're there all the time but anyway according to the study is the best place for a staycation on the flip side by the way the worst place for a staycation is Fremont, California, just north of San Jose. <laughs> Fremont, California, the worst place, uh, along with Aurora, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver, and Newark, New Jersey, are the worst places for a staycation. I don't know what the criteria are, but those are the best and worst places for a staycation. It's kind of interesting, and no kidding, Honolulu, Hawaii would be <laughs> a good place for a staycation. Unless you've lived there all your life, I guess, and you may disagree. And uh, how about this big sports news? There is going to be yet another attempt to establish a successful spring football league in this country. The USFL is coming back. That's right. The United States Football League announced yesterday that it plans to return next spring. Now... You may recall the original run of the USFL began in 1983 and folded after the 1985 season. This time, after an unsuccessful attempt to become a fall football league and compete head-on with the NFL. And you may recall that ill-fated shift from spring to fall was at the behest of then-team owner Donald Trump. Kind of interesting, but... This time around, 
The USFL is looking to have eight teams instead of 12. And they have signed Fox Sports as their broadcast partner. It's the latest spring football attempt in recent years. The Alliance of American Football lasted less than a season in 2019. The XFL began in 2020, suspended its operations uh, amid the pandemic and never returned. Um, now, the XFL the XFL uh, plans to be back next spring. We'll see. But uh, uh, the USFL, they, they actually have had they stayed in the spring, they probably could have made that work. But uh, whether or not they can make it work this time around remains to be seen, especially if they have competition from the XFL. Well, competition as such as it is from the XFL. But anyway, we may have bottom line it. Uh, coming up next spring, we may have spring football again. Let's see what the future may hold. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Partly sunny today with a high of 83. Mostly clear tonight, a low of 65. The number of coronavirus cases in Ohio continues to drop. Hospitalizations in Ohio are at their lowest since September, and cases have bottomed out for the first time in more than a year. You look at where we were a year ago when we had had that decline from the first wave when we're entering the summer months, we're lower than that. This is just validation that the vaccine works. With that said, a cautious optimism remains as medical professionals still try to urge unvaccinated folks to get the shot. That's WTOL 11's Tyler Paley reporting. Ohio House Republicans are pitching bonuses for first responders. They've introduced a proposal to pay $1,000 bonuses to police, fire, and EMS workers. The plan would cost about $83 million. Money from the American Rescue Plan COVID relief package would pay for the bonuses. The winner of the state's second $1 million Vaximillion drawing is from Toledo. Jonathan Carlisle says the winnings will come in handy because he and his girlfriend have a five-month-old baby. Me and my family, would um, we want to find our permanent home, hopefully, sometime in the near future. And uh, beyond that, just I, I just want to have someone help me make this last. Uh, this is a good uh, foundation for my family. The winners of the third of five drawings will be announced on Wednesday. People need to register for that drawing by Sunday night. Blanchard Valley Health System and the University of Finley have recently formed a partnership to benefit the community. Through the partnership, both organizations seek to encourage more students from Northwest Ohio to consider healthcare majors. BVHS and the University of Finley will work together to develop more opportunities and better clinical access to healthcare careers and advancement close to home. Get more on our website. The Finley Hancock County Community Foundation Board of Trustees approved more than $810,000 in grants at its latest board meeting. Raise the bar, Hancock County, Boy Scouts of America, and Finley City Schools are just a few of the entities receiving grant funding. You can see the full list on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, you see evidence of it everywhere. Americans are fully embracing a return to normalcy after a year of pandemic lockdowns, cancellations, and restrictions. But the numbers don't lie. In many states, the rate of infection among the unvaccinated still rivals that of the peak months of December and January, driven in large part 
by unvaccinated young adults between the ages of 18 and 34. Dr. Ross McKinney is chief scientific officer for the Association of American Medical Colleges. And Dr. McKinney, this would suggest that this is the weak link in our post-pandemic recovery. I would say it's one of the uh, weak links. The other weak link will be uh, getting vaccine for kids, which is going to hold up until we actually get one. But that 18 to 34 year old age group needs to get in and get vaccinated because um, that's what, you know, they're ending up in the hospital. If you look at who's going into the hospital these days, it's changed. It's not just old folks. Um, it's the susceptible people are younger. And while the overall number of cases is down, the proportion that is younger individuals has gone up. So explain why the rest of us who are vaccinated should care. I mean, I don't mean to be blunt, but the CDC says if I'm vaccinated, I'm not spreading the virus. I'm unlikely to get it. And even if I do, it's nearly guaranteed not to be a serious case. So what does it really matter to me that some people are still willing to take their chances? Well, I think actually I, I might have mentioned what I think the the worry is. It's a couple of groups. It's kids who can't get vaccinated yet, and it's people who are immunocompromised. Um, who don't have any way that even if they were vaccinated may not be able to be protected. And, and so when we have people who are choosing not to get vaccinated um, and are willing to take a chance with their own lives, um, you know, say, hey, if I get out, I die, that's the way it goes. Um, they're, they're in one position, um, but they're also putting those other people, the kids and the immunocompromised, uh, they're putting them at risk. Uh, and, and they're who we now, some of the disparity uh, is probably because older Americans got first crack at the vaccine. They sort of had a head start, but that's certainly not the case at this point. It's pretty much available on demand. So accessibility really isn't the issue, is it? Accessibility is not the issue. Anybody can go to their local Walgreens or CVS or uh, their public health department's likely to have it. It, it is easy to get the vaccine. And it's really interesting. Older folks have almost no reluctance to get the vaccine. When you look at the data, they're not the holdouts. They, they said, this is scary. We're going to protect ourselves. And I think that the sense that this is a real risk uh, to younger individuals is why they have not um, gotten vaccine. Uh, older folks saw what this meant. You know, they saw their peers uh, get sick, people my age saw other people die of this. Mm. And um, younger folks may not have felt that same uh, threat. That, that urgency. Surveys, in fact, do show that those in that 18 to 34 range are more likely to take a wait-and-see attitude and or only get vaccinated if it is required of them, if then. Now, both the Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines, they've, they've applied for full authorization for, uh, from the FDA. Is that likely to move the needle for this group? You know, it's interesting. I hope so, but I am skeptical. I think it's a group of rationalizers. It's people who are trying to find some excuse because they're afraid of getting a shot. They're afraid of doing something that's going to make them sick, even for a day. And because, you know, there is about a third of the people who get these vaccines who are going to be sick enough they won't want to go to work the next day. And so some of those younger folks are in jobs where, you know, they have to be there. It's an hourly wage. Some of them just don't want to take a chance. And some of them go, hey, even if I get it, it's not going to be that bad. But that's the mistake. It can be that bad. 
Um, so that's why it's important um, for them to be active. So there is some of that invincibility mindset. Uh, obviously, states like Ohio are offering cash incentives as an inducement, and many private companies have also hopped on that bandwagon. Just this week, Budweiser offering up free beer if we get to 70% vaccinated by the 4th of July. There has been some yeah. criticism. Uh, there has been some criticism of this tactic, but anecdotal evidence suggests it has worked. What say you? I say it's a great idea. <laughs> I don't feel vaccinated. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. We don't fully understand the psychology of people who don't want to get vaccinated. And the fact that giving you a chance to, to win a lottery, giving you beer, uh, is going to push you over the brink. That just tells us how little we understand about reluctance to be vaccinated well, that's because a, uh, they're, they're not connected. I mean, what's yeah. the lottery got to do? Yeah, that's a, that is a fair point. I wonder though, does that set something of a dangerous precedent for the next vaccination that, that comes along that, Hey, I'm not going to get it unless you pay me. I hope not. I hope it doesn't do that because it's, uh, um, I don't think people are doing this. Most people are not doing this because it's just a nudge just saying, oh, okay, that's a good enough incentive. It's worth it getting the vaccine. I should do it anyway. So I, I think it's mainly a, a, a nudge, not a sense of, oh, they're gonna, I need to wait till somebody's going to pay me enough to yeah. uh, justify it. Bottom line here, uh, as we said at the outset, people are embracing this return to normalcy, mask mandates being lifted, capacity restrictions at sports venues and other venues being eased, concerts, fairs, festivals happening again. Can we fully get back to normal absent a significant shift in the numbers among this age group, or is that genie out of the bottle regardless? I think we're going to have to get everybody a pretty high percentage of people vaccinated to get the, the genie all the way back in the bottle. And, and the reality is what's going to happen, my guess, look at, look at where we're currently seeing lots of disease. We're seeing lots of disease in the Southern hemisphere and respiratory viruses tend to be worse um, in the winter. So you're seeing the disease in Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, you're seeing it uh, increasing in Africa and some Southern Asian uh, and and it's down here. Well, guess what? Come fall, it's going to come back and get the unvaccinated. It, um, so, so I think we really need to keep pushing to try and get as many people as possible vaccinated so that when we get that rebound, we're ready. We're already vaccinated. Our community is safe. It, it is a fair point that the change in the weather is probably contributing to the decline in cases we are seeing. And in fact, we are not out of the woods just yet. Dr. Ross McKinney, again, Chief Scientific Officer for the Association of American Medical Colleges. The AAMC has partnered with the CDC on an initiative to get that good scientific information out there. Where do people learn more? Uh, well, they can actually go to our website, aamc.org. Or they can go to the CDC website, cdc.gov, because both have lots of good information. Dr. McKinney, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You know, we've uh, talked about the ways to spruce up your backyard, your patio, your deck uh, this summer, now that the summer weather is here. This morning, want to focus on an interior refresh as we prepare for the reboot of 
gatherings of family and friends in 2021. Joining us this morning is home improvement expert, realtor, and author, and host of HGTV's Good Bones, Mina Hawk. Mina, thanks for joining us this morning. Some things that we want to do right now so that we can have them done in plenty of time to enjoy the rest of the summer. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, this is the perfect time of year to be to be doing projects inside and outside, um, and you're going to be able to start and finish them with enough time to enjoy them in the summer and yeah. the early fall. And I think everyone is really excited uh, to you know get out and about and start mulling around and having people in their home again. So this is a yeah. great time. Yeah, I definitely want to put our best foot forward when we welcome people uh, back in for those gatherings. So you've got a number of uh, ideas and, and things that uh, people can think about uh, with respect to uh, sprucing things up that doesn't uh, that doesn't take a long time, doesn't cost a whole lot, and also uh, some updates that both homeowners and renters can prioritize for the upcoming season. The biggest thing going into summer that I always recommend is getting your air conditioning checked. So I do a summer tune-up and a winter tune-up just to check my system and make sure when it's that first really cold or first really hot day that my, my system is going to work the way I want it to. Um, so summer tune-up, I think, is, is the biggest. And then some other like easy ones that are going to be fun, um, fairly cost-effective. Paint is always a great option. You know, paint your front door or maybe a bathroom vanity or, you know, do some fun crafty projects, repaint a mirror. You could also change out your kitchen cabinet knobs or, you know, your bathroom vanity ones. Those are all pretty simple ones that, that you can do. And the knob one, particularly with renters, is something you can change back before you leave and take them with you. Mm, there you go. That's a, a great idea. Uh, other uh, simple things uh, on your list, new window treatments, uh, new shutters, uh, inside, outside. I mean, there are a lot of things that, like you said, will only take uh, a few days, not cost a lot of money, and you can actually get an awful lot of bang for the buck. There are some updates that people can do uh, in spaces that might otherwise go overlooked. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, the, the painting, the knobs, those ones are very visual, but there's so many things um, that you don't actually see, um, and so they get skipped over, like doing that really deep cleaning, disinfecting surfaces, um, and managing your air quality, which I think is really a, a hot-button topic right now because of uh, COVID and mm-hmm. entering back into other people's homes and having people in your you really want to make sure that you're uh, touching on those things as well, not just the fun, pretty stuff. Uh, anything else that uh, you would suggest folks uh, think about as they look around their spaces and, and say, hey, uh, I need to uh, to do something. I want to uh, spruce up this space. Anything else uh, that we want to uh, consider uh, before we dive in? A big one that's going to help with the air quality, which I think is super important to people right now, is getting an air purifier. Uh, and Carrier has a really simple, easy plug-in one, and that's going to help uh, grab those airborne contaminants like dust and dander and pollen and help manage and monitor your air quality. So you're going to feel better about it and feel better about having people in your home. So again, air quality, uh, a, a big issue right now. Obviously, that's at the top of everybody's mind. Uh, air purifier, as you mentioned, the uh, summer tune-up on our uh, HVAC system uh, is very important. So really want to put those at the top of the list. Again, home improvement expert and the host of HGTV's Good Bones, Mina Hawk, with us this morning. Where do we get more information? You can go to carrieratthome.com. We'll link it up on our webpage as well. Mina, thanks very much. Thank you.
Well, if you are looking for one to add to your summer reading list, might I suggest Tales of Little Egypt. It is a fictional account of small-town America and the characters who created it uh, in the latter part of the 19th century and the early couple of decades of the 20th century. Uh, Author James Gilbert is with us this morning. And James, uh, we're talking about the uh, time period here. Really, you're looking at between the uh, post-Civil War years to about World War One, or I guess the uh, other bookend is the influenza plague of uh, 1918, uh, the last time we went through uh, all of this. Why those particular uh, dates? Why that particular historical window? Well, I ended it in 1918 because because of the of the of the plague, uh, the influenza plague, and I. And I, I wrote this before the current pandemic, so it was just hmm. by chance that I picked that date. Yeah, uh, I, I I chose it partly because uh, this is these are stories that are based on the growth of a small town uh, at the turn of the 19th and 20th century in a period that was that was really uh, a, a period of immense change. Uh, uh, for example. The city of Chicago uh, doubled its population every ten years in the latter part of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 started out as a tiny little town in 1833, and it became a, a a town of a couple of million by the end of the period that I'm writing about. So uh, it's a period in which uh, uh, the huge cities all over America are being established, but at the same time. Uh, we're beginning to think of small town America as somehow more genuine and more realistic and a place where uh, American civilization and culture is really truest. Uh, and so I, I, I wanted to write about that, that particular moment when, uh, when these attitudes were, uh, were becoming predominant. And uh, Marion, Illinois, is the uh, town in question, is the centerpiece of the story. Talk about the title of the book, Tales of Little Egypt. How did that uh, come to uh, get the name Little Egypt? Well, Little Egypt is actually uh, a place in southern Illinois. It's a very unusual and unique place. It's, uh, It's the area of... Uh, at the very tip bottom of of Illinois, where the Ohio River and the Mississippi come together, mm-hmm. and they form a plat uh, uh, a, a river delta, which is very similar to Cairo, Egypt, and uh, and that's why people uh, named it Little Egypt. And not only is it Little Egypt, but the but the the largest city in the in the late 19th century was Cairo. Uh, which is a, a city on the uh, on the on the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a very special place. It's 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 very different from the rest of Illinois. It's uh, it's quite southern. It's much more like Tennessee or Kentucky or Missouri than it is like Chicago. Mm. And. Uh, the characters here are kind of what you would expect in small town America, uh, eccentric, peculiar, um, and 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 you use the word uh, in the uh, write up on the book contented. 
Talk a little bit about this uh, cast of characters that populate the story. Well, they, they really are uh, the kinds of characters you would encounter in a, in a small town. I, I, uh, I've got men, women, children, uh, various ethnicities, uh, and I think it's exact, exactly what you would, would expect to find in a, in a little town. Uh, part of the, part of, some of the stories are about why people ended up in a, in a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Others are uh, are about um, uh, people who were born there, and very typical uh, 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 sort of rural small town mm-hmm. uh, small town people. Uh, and uh, and the other thing the other thing I should say about these stories is that that they all uh, intersect, and the characters uh, reappear in in. Uh, multiple stories. So it's well, really that, a novel. Yeah. Well, that uh, certainly uh, is not uncommon in a small town. As many people, <laughs> the lives of a lot of people uh, do tend to intersect in many different ways. Uh, are these uh, stories that are, I mean, I know that it's uh, that it's fiction, but are they based on uh, histor- true historical stories uh, or are they uh, cut purely uh, out of your imagination or uh, how did the where did the stories come from all of the above <laughs> uh, some some of them are, are 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 purely imaginary and uh and i've i've never encountered uh people like that but but uh uh it's it, it there, i think there are people who you would encounter uh, mm-hmm. uh in such a in such a place some of them a, a very few of them are based on family stories, uh, and are, are not not so much family stories, but uh, uh, characters that I knew as a child, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, my family comes from Little Egypt, and uh, I used to visit there during the summers, and so I uh, encountered lots and lots of distant relatives. Uh, both of my families, sides of my family, were there for over a hundred years. Mm. And uh, and so uh, uh, I I really got to know uh, what what these people were like. Nobody actually is a real uh, uh, is based on a real character. They're 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 all they're all imaginary mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, you but I but I think that's the way any writer writes. Yeah. You 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 know a character. You change it. Uh, it becomes a live person, mm-hmm. and uh, and somehow it lives by itself. You mentioned uh, this incredibly fascinating period of American history where the big cities were being defined, and in many cases, uh, America's small towns were being defined as well. Uh, obviously, you know the the historians the history books the textbooks will say that the big cities became big cities because uh that's where uh you know the industry was or the transportation hubs um you know all of these uh, types of things that there were uh in many cases geographic and economic uh, reasons why the big cities became big cities and other small towns didn't become big cities. But do you find that it it goes more? Uh, it goes beyond just the the nuts and bolts uh, of it. I think so. Yes, I I think that the big cities uh, attracted certain kinds of people. 
mm-hmm. uh, uh, people who wanted uh, who wanted a, a big city life. Yeah. Uh, to give you an example, um, during this period, uh, right up until 1920, uh, uh, Chicago. Uh, and the areas around Chicago, perhaps Joliet and some of the larger towns, uh, were uh, uh, were wet. That is to say, they allowed the purchase of liquor. Mm-hmm. But in small town uh, Illinois, yeah, uh, th- there was prohibition already before the uh, prohibition uh, amendment. Yeah, and and so uh, you get a very you get people who are very really very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in in small sure. towns and in uh, and in big cities. However, I will say that one of the things that's I think surprising about uh, Southern Illinois and Little Egypt is that there were lots of immigrants who who uh, who came to live there, primarily to work in the coal mines, which mm. were a big industry in that area. Yeah. Uh, so yes. Uh, it, Part of it is about uh, the jobs and the types of uh, industries and opportunities that were available uh, in different points uh, of the uh, country. But then uh, some of it was uh, about the people as more than just serendipity uh, that uh, Chicago became huge and Little Egypt, maybe not so much. Really fascinating uh, history and a fascinating period. Tales of Little Egypt is the uh, book. And again, James Gilbert, the author. James, do you have a website in conjunction with a book we can guide folks to for more information? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, JamesGilbertAuthor.com. It's okay. all it's all one word. JamesGilbertAuthor.com. And we will link up to that on our webpage uh, if, uh, if folks want to check that out. Again, one to add to your summer reading list. Uh, James Gilbert, thanks very much for taking the time, and certainly best of luck with the book. Thank you very much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. This is a bad day. This is one of those days that would make you want to roll over and go back to bed. A woman in Clarksburg, Maryland, had her car stolen not once, but twice within 24 hours. Yasmin... I don't have her last name, just says Yasmin, says she was dashing from her car to hand an Instacart delivery to a woman waiting on Friday when she saw three kids circling her vehicle. Then they jumped inside and drove away. (laughs) She just jumped out of her car. She was delivering an an Instacart delivery and uh, got her car stolen. She then got a call Saturday morning from police saying that they had found her car. Yasmin said she was asked if she had spare keys, and when she couldn't find one, they told her the car would have to be towed. It took all day to arrange for the tow truck, and it was just blocks away from her vehicle when she got a call that her car had been stolen for a second time. Uh, Police released a statement saying, the that they are aware of the second incident currently under an internal investigation to determine if any policies had been violated uh the uh, metro police have been in contact with yasmin to address her concerns she's going to pick up her stolen car and it gets stolen again that is a bad day right there (laughs) luck is not on your side when that happens to you 
Maybe they find it on the golf course. That's what happened in Massachusetts. Newton, Massachusetts police say say they uh, uh, got a call from some golfers who reported a surprise uh, spotting a large SUV on the sixth hole. <laughs> Local golf course. Police say uh, a man became stuck on the sixth hole Wednesday morning. But it wasn't a stolen car. Uh, There were no charges filed. He simply got lost as he was led astray by his GPS app. (laughs) Wow. Now, I've heard of GPS. I've actually had it happen where my GPS has not gotten me where I wanted to go. It had bogus information or whatever, and... It says you've arrived at your destination and you're nowhere close to your destination. But to end up on the sixth hole of a golf course, (laughs) that has to be really bad information. Apparently, it happened in the middle of the night and the driver couldn't see well, which made him take too wide of a turn, causing him to become stuck. Police say the man did not appear to be intoxicated. He was just following his GPS. No charges have been filed. (laughs) Oh, goodness. You should never fully trust technology. Officers with the Lincoln, Nebraska Police Department say a driver suspected to be under the influence struck not one other vehicle, not two other vehicles, not three, not four, but five other vehicles and a fire hydrant just for good measure. This past weekend, officers were dispatched early Saturday morning, May 29th, after getting a report of a car driving all over the road that struck a fire hydrant. When officers arrived, they found the driver passed out inside the disabled car, and upon searching the area, discovered that it had hit not just the fire hydrant, but five other parked vehicles on the east side of 24th Street. Police say a tire came off the vehicle during one of the crashes. The driver taken to a local hospital because of injuries he sustained. And uh, a blood draw was taken as part of the investigation. The charges of DUI, the results are still pending, although the driver was cited for five counts of leaving the scene of an accident, along with reckless driving and driving under suspension just for good measure. So... Even if he wasn't drunk, he shouldn't have been behind the wheel. He's driving on a suspended license. Well, I think now we know why his driver's license might have been suspended. Uh, Another vehicle story in the uh, broken news. Sometimes people do anything to drive in the carpool lane, the HOV lane that you see in many big cities to help move traffic along during rush hour in the morning and the afternoon. They have... Those carpool lanes, it helps alleviate some of the traffic backups and it encourages people to carpool. But some people want to drive in the carpool lane without actually having another passenger. And we've had these stories uh, in the broken news in the past. Most of the time, they try to fool cops with a mannequin or uh, some sort of fake. No, this guy in Long Island, New York, Justin Kunis, age 20, couldn't even be bothered to get a full mannequin, he decided he was just going to tape a mask 
uh, on his on the headrest of his passenger uh, seat. <laughs> That's what he did. He just taped like a Halloween mask and he secured it, strapped it on the uh, front passenger headrest of his car to attempt to make it look like someone else was in the car with him. Happened on the Long Island Expressway Wednesday. Uh, police weren't buying it. A Suffolk County Highway Patrol officer spotted the suspicious-looking passenger and pulled over Mr. Kunis. He was issued, issued a summons for occupancy violation in an HOV lane. I mean, come on! If you want to, if you want to try and fake a passenger, at least go through. I mean, do it, do it right, right? And don't don't take a shortcut. That's never going to work. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is really a cool story. A woman in Virginia is being reunited with some sentimental photos that she lost nearly a decade ago. A diver in Virginia was participating in a training exercise when the diver found an algae-covered camera at the bottom of the lake where they were doing the training exercises. So she's doing the dive, and she looks down, and she sees this camera at the bottom of the lake. It's covered in algae, so it's clearly been there a while. But she did notice that there was a uh, data card, an SD card, inside the camera. And so she retrieved it, brought it up to the surface, and sure enough, they were able to recover some 300 photos on the data card, with help from a friend who's very technically savvy, is able to pull the photos off. They were able to find the owner of the camera after they posted some of the long-lost photos to Facebook. The woman said she thought the photos were gone forever and called the preserved photos perfect. Well, they're digital photos, so they'd be perfect or not there. But uh, still, what are the chances? Uh, camera, no word on how the camera ended up at the bottom of the lake. But having been there for nearly a decade, kind of crazy that they were able to actually recover those photos. But cool story. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. The pandemic took its toll on everyone, to be sure, but a new study suggests that grandparents may have really missed out. Now, this is a survey done in the UK. I should mention that, but I would imagine that the results would be pretty similar in this country as well. They pulled 2,000 parents and grandparents and found that on average, grandparents during the pandemic missed 49 hugs, 47 kisses, 40 conversations, and 25 meals with their grandkids since the pandemic began. That's on average. They also missed 27 playtimes with toys, 
24 story times, 24 walks together, 19 bedtimes, 18 school pickups, and 18 hand-drawn pictures with their grandchildren. Aside from the day-to-day, grandparents also hit hard, they said, by missing out on big milestones like first steps, first words, and first days of kindergarten or preschool. And parents have missed this interaction as well. Almost half of the parents asked in the survey said that they normally would rely heavily on the support from grandparents in raising their children. And they didn't have that over the course of the past year either. But there is good news. 75% of parents say that they will be reuniting with grandparents now that the restrictions are lifting and older generations have been vaccinated. So maybe uh, making up for lost time. There are things that you won't be able to get back, to be sure. But the hugs and the kisses, the conversations, the hand-drawn pictures, the walks together, the play times, the story times, uh, probably going to make up for lost time with those. And have a neat, uh, neat survey. Just something to keep in mind in case you hadn't thought about it in those terms with your kids and your parents uh, and the connection, that special connection between children and uh, grandma and grandpa. You might have seen this story uh, in the news. I know you and I saw it a couple of days ago about the uh, little three-year-old girl uh, in uh, Minneapolis, I believe uh, it is, uh, who had a clever way of trying to make sure that no one else at a slice of her birthday cake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Leona Fay is her name. She's three years old. She wanted a Lion King cake for her birthday, but not just any Lion King cake. <laughs> she requested one depicting the traumatizing scene where Mufasa, Simba's daughter, falls to his death off that cliff. Yeah. Do you remember the, uh, the scene? Everyone knows the scene. Mm-hmm. Her plan, this is the reason why she said that's the scene she wanted depicted on her birthday cake, mm-hmm. She was. She wanted to make people too sad to want a slice, so she could have it all to herself. Exactly. She said. Uh, she said everyone will be too sad to eat the cake, and it'll all be for me. Yep. Hey, she's smart. <laughs> the bakery was a little surprised by the request. They said it's yeah. not every day that we get a request for this particular. Yeah. Uh, scene. A dead lion on uh, my birthday Exactly. Cake. They don't usually get to, you know, deceased characters on no. child's birthday cakes. No. Um, uh, her uncle Casey tweeted about it, and uh, it has gone viral uh, now. Leona's mother, Allison, says the cake was just right uh, for her daughter. It was right up her alley because yep. she is quirky and hilarious. Yep. That's how she described her daughter. if it was Red Devil's food. <laughs> quirky and hilarious. She's already, Leona has already decided what she wants for her birthday cake next year she wants a cinderella cake depicting the evil stepmother oh. so <laughs> i don't like awesome. her either uh well then mission accomplished yeah, nobody no will want I any won't eat that cake <laughs> nobody will want it it'll all be for her it's all hers my wife kyra has joined us in the studio this morning it is time for another collection of recipes from kyra's kitchen and uh we 
I just have a couple of them. The yep. the first recipe actually com, uh, combines. combines the main dish and the side dish. Yes. You've got uh, press, uh, pretzel crusted chicken with salad. Yes. Pretzel crusted chicken yep. with salad. How do we do this? <laughs> so two cups of sourdough pretzel nuggets. Um, a you quarter- can buy those yeah. uh, like any, Auntie Anne's yeah. mix or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, but it's, any the, of them. it's the hard nuggets. So you can get those, the sourdough nuggets. Oh. Hard okay. sourdough nuggets. Okay, so not the soft pretzel. No, no. The, 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 no. So just the hard dough. The, how, the hard, hard sourdough yeah. nuggets. Okay, yes. all right. Yes. A half a cup of all purpose flour, two eggs, a quarter cup of buttermilk, two garlic cloves minced, one eighth tea, teaspoon of pepper, four boneless, skinless chicken breast halves, four ta- tablespoons of olive oil, oil divided, two thirds cup mayonnaise two tablespoons of Dijon mustard, two teaspoons of cider vinegar, one-eighth teaspoon of salt, one-eighth teaspoon of pepper, and one package of your your favorite um, five-ounce package of your salad mix. So whichever is your favorite. Okay. So you place the pretzels in a food processor um, until they're finely crushed. Uh, Place the pretzels and flour in separate shallow bowls. So two bowls. So your flour's in one bowl and your pretzels are in another bowl. Okay. Okay. In another shallow bowl, whisk together your egg, your buttermilk, your garlic, and your pepper. Uh, Pound your chicken with a meat mallet uh, to about a quarter inch thickness. Um... If if you're in a hurry and you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. I okay. mean, that's I mean, some people like the thinner chicken, so you can okay. do that. Right. Um, dip both sides of the chicken into the flour, then into the egg mixture, then into the pretzel crumbs. So you're not cutting them up. No. Uh, these are whole chicken breasts. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. So in a large skillet, then heat three tablespoons of oil over medium heat. Add your chicken. Cook four to six minutes on each side or until no longer pink. Meanwhile, in a small bowl, mix together your mayonnaise and your mustard. Remove two tablespoons to another bowl for your dressing. Whisk in the remaining oil, vinegar, salt, and pepper. Place salad greens in a large bowl. Drizzle with dressing. Toss (laughs) to coat. Serve with chicken and remaining mayonnaise mixture. Hmm. So all together there. Yeah. Yep. You use a lot of bowls in this recipe. Yes, you do. You're going to have some dirty dishes. You need to have plenty of bowls on hand for this this recipe. But it sounds yummy. So uh, there you go. The pretzel crusted chicken with the salad. And to go along with that... Is one of your favorite yes. monster cookie brownies. Brownies. I monster love monster cookie cookies. Brownies. Yes. Okay. So you take a box of thir- an 18.3 ounce box of milk chocolate brownie mix, uh, plus the ingredients that's called, because you're going to make yeah, up your you're brownie gonna mix. You're going to make the brownies. Correct. Mix. Correct. Okay. You're going to make the brownies. Then your monster cookie dough. Um, ingredients are a third cup of creamy peanut butter, two tablespoons of butter softened, a quarter cup of brown sugar, two tablespoons of granulated sugar, a large egg, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, one third cup all-purpose flour, a quarter teaspoon of baking soda, a quarter teaspoon of salt, a quarter cup of quick oats, a quarter cup of your miniature chocolate chips, and a quarter cup of mini M&Ms. Or you can use the whole bag if you like M&Ms. Which <laughs> 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 Just throw them all in there. 
That's right. Why measure it out? <laughs> <laughs> Measuring is so overrated. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially when it comes to M&Ms. That's right. Okay. So heat oven to 350 degrees. Prepare a 9 by 13 inch baking pan and spray with cooking spray. Line with parchment paper or you can line it with tinfoil. If you do line it with tinfoil, make sure that you spray your tinfoil too. Mm-hmm. Um Prepare your brownies according to the directions on the box. Pour brownie batter into the baking pan and set aside. In a mixing bowl, add the peanut butter and softened butter. Stir with fork until combined. Add your brown sugar, your sugar, your egg, and vanilla extract. Stir with with your fork until that's well combined. Then add your flour, your baking soda, and your salt. And stir all that until it's all well combined. Add the quick oats, the chocolate chips, M&M's. Stir it all up with your hands. Scoop up some of the cookie dough. Okay. So just like a one-inch ball or whatever. Um, so and then really, kind of flatten it. Yes. So really what, you're, what you've done is you've made the brownies. Yes. You haven't cooked them, but you've uh, made the brownies. So, and you've made yes. the cookies. You Correct. haven't cooked either, nope. but you've mixed them all up. Yep. Okay. Yep. So. so then you're scooping up a, a thing of the uh, cookie, ma- cookie dough mix. Mm-hmm. You're kind of flattening it, and you're putting it on top of the brownie mix. Okay. So just kind of put it on top of the brownie mix. Uh, bake for 25 to 35 minutes or until done in the center. I use a toothpick, making sure it's not wet in the center. If right. it's still wet in the center, then it needs a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I give it a couple more minutes. Um, and then um, uh, once it's all done, let it cool in the pan for about 30 minutes to one hour, then cut into squares. And there you go. It's basically uh, layered yep. with the brownies. Yep. And then the cookie on the top. Yep. So you've got a two-for-one dessert yes, there. Yes. I love them both. Why not? Yes. And another um, little tidbit is cut it with a plastic knife, not a metal knife. Why? Because it won't stick to a plastic knife, and it'll stick to a metal knife. Really? Mm-hmm. See, it's no. not, that's not been my experience. I, yep. Things stick to plastic just as much as they nope. stick to metal, but they don't. Mm-mm. Hmm. Nope. Interesting. Okay, yep. well, you can try that. Yep. And, I have a Pampered Chef works. plastic knife that I love. Oh, that's okay. what I use for my brownies. All right. So if not, if you just get one of the store-bought plastic uh, knives. Okay. You know. All right, so yeah. there you go. Try uh, it. Added little uh, bonus tip there for you from uh, Kyra's Kitchen this morning. The uh, recipes for the pretzel-crusted chicken with salad and the monster cookie brownies the two-for-one dessert Yes, there. Uh, Everything's two-for-one today. It is. <laughs> uh, it is a two-for-one day. That is the underlying theme. There we go. Uh, we have those recipes posted on our Facebook page and also linked up at goodmornings.net, so you can check those out there. Quick reminder, if you have a recipe that you would like us to share, uh, Kyra's always looking for uh, good new recipes yes. to share, so if you have a favorite, uh, by all means, you can email that to us, goodmornings at at WFIN.com, or if you have a uh, something that you are trying to find, a yes. recipe for something uh, or an idea, yeah. uh, whatever it might happen to be, uh, if you have a request, we do take requests here at the Old Radio <laughs> Ranch. Uh, you can uh, shoot us an email on that as well. My wife, Kyra. Thanks very much for dropping by. You're welcome. And that'll do it for our podcast today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, 
That is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media. Send us an email if there's something you want to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Goodmornings.net, our little corner of the World Wide Web, where you can check us out anytime, 24-7. Until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.